I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand than to be the King of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. <clears throat> I'd rather be faithful to Him. Is a great song. Turning your Bible in Nehemiah chapter number 8. Nehemiah 8. We've been here for a little bit in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, when you find your place there, you can mark it. And then go back to Proverbs chapter 1. 
Proverbs chapter 1 in the back of the book. If you say it differently, you can go forward to Proverbs. All depends on how you look at it, right? So, Proverbs chapter 1. And then, not Hezekiah, close. Very good, brother. You you don't know how accomplished I feel at my job. And then Hosea chapter 2. All right, look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs, I had it and I lost it. Here we go. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse uh, number 24. Let's read this. I'll read it uh, here in just a minute. Because I have called and you refused, and I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but you have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Now what is going on here is the personification of wisdom. We're talking about wisdom here. Verse, 25, verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek uh, me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despise all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me, wisdom, shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. And so here we have in Proverbs, we have the, the, uh, the outline here of the life of wisdom when you reject wisdom god said i'm gonna gonna mock i will laugh at your calamity when it comes and but that then at the end of the chapter there we see that if you uh adhere if we follow if we go after the wisdom of god there is blessing there so here we have the book of the proverbs uh, focusing obviously on wisdom 220 years later we come to the book of hosea And so in the book of Proverbs, you see the exhortation unto wisdom. In the book of Hosea, you see the fallout from rejecting wisdom. And look at chapter 2 of Hosea. Look at verse 5 and 7. For their mother hath played the harlot, she hath conceived them that hath done shamefully. For she said, I'll go after my lovers that give me my uh, bread, right, and my water, and my wool, and my flax, my oil, and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall, that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she uh, shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than uh, now. And we were just, my wife and I were just talking about this verse just the other day, and how God hedges around people to get them uh, uh, back into a place of, of a right relationship with God. And so what you have here in Hosea 
is Israel, a depiction of Israel who rejected wisdom, who rejected God. And it got to a place when they walked away from God. God said one last time out of mercy and grace, I'm going to put a hedge around you of thorns to make your life miserable so you'll come back to me. And there's some people in your life and in your family that's exactly what you need to pray. God, put a hedge of thorns about them. Make them miserable because they need to come back to you. And so we, we, you see that. You see that both sides of the coin here. You see the, the, the instruction of wisdom. And then over here you see where they're left with the rejection of wisdom. And so this is where Israel was. Hosea was a picture of Israel where they were living. Nehemiah now. When we come to Nehemiah, Nehemiah is that returning back to obedience. Nehemiah is that place of what we've been calling on, started on Sunday morning, is that place of revival. They have come back to the, to the things of God. They've come to realize, even though they are generations past the one that went into Babylon first, this uh, second generation here, they've realized, hey, and, and this is the, the word I have of the year, and it's two words, but I love it. The Lord gives me, I believe he gives me a word every year that I just really meditate on. The two words I had this year are, are um, God is real and God is right. I'm telling you, he'll bring you in your life over and over again. And remember, it'll come back over and over when you get away from God. Because when you find the end of your way, you go, well, God's right. God's real and God is right. And this is where they are at, in Nehemiah. And so they have returned. They have come back to the land. They have a, uh, Ezra had a heart to come back and rebuild the temple. He was a godly man and he was a broken man. And he wanted the, the temple rebuilt here as a scribe. And God used him in a mighty way. But then you have Nehemiah, this cupbearer. He worked in the, in, in the government of, the, uh, of this uh, Persian empire. And God put it upon his heart to go back and rebuild the walls. And it says so. God put it on his heart. It was something that God put upon him. And so he came back. And as we know, the walls got built. Everything was finished. And as we saw last week, we saw last week, they had finished up. And um, they had assembled outside of the water gate. And we looked at all of the symbolism when we looked at the different gates and the wall and we looked at the, the, the significance of the water gate and they had, they, had, uh, they had assembled outside of the water gate and they, they were longing for, they, they were desiring, they were hungering for the word of God. They just wanted to hear the Bible. And no, listen, the, nobody told them to assemble. Nehemiah didn't say, hey, we're going to have an assembly tomorrow. Ezra didn't come out as the scribe and say, come on in. We're going to have some preaching tomorrow. No, they begin to come apart all on their own and to symbol and they said we want to hear the word of God and find Ezra the man of God we want to hear Ezra read the word of God they listen they had longed for the word of God it had been so long since they had really been exposed to the word of God and there was a hunger in them and an aching and a groaning for the word of God so they assembled there in chapter 8 of Nehemiah if you're back there again chapter 1 they have assembled I like that it's a it's, a, it's what the church is, right? It's a ecclesia. Ek means out of. My name Eccles. That's, that's German. Out, out of, out of the corner, right? That's what it means. Somehow our family came out of a corner somewhere. I don't know what it means, but they did. And uh, anyway, but ecclesia, out of, and, it's, and, uh, and uh, it means a called out, a called out assembly, 
right? And Jesus called out, uh, out his disciples. I preached in a meeting up in Davenport, Iowa, and three different times, three different preachers said something about when the church started, and, and we know it's not Pentecost, it was empowered at Pentecost, but when did it start before that? When would you say it was this? And everybody had their idea, and, and of course, when you get your turn to preach, brother, you get to have your idea, right? You got the stage, and I'm like, I'll tell you when it started. It means a called out assembly. So when did he call them out? Well, that's when it started, is when he called them out. And he started calling them out there after the baptism of John and uh, those disciples there. That's, that's my two cents worth on it. It's a called out assembly. What is the church? It is, it is an assembly of baptized believers covenanted together to carry out the Great Commission. An assembly of baptized believers covenanted together. We're here for the same purpose, pray, hopefully. Covenanted together to carry out the Great Commission. And I'll tell you this, church members who put a, a, low, a low priority on assembling will also put low priorities on other avenues or areas of obedience in their life as well. I'm telling you, let me tell you something. I'm not talking about illness. We're not talking about this. You know me. You know what I'm talking about. But, but listen, when you put a low priority on, on assembling, this is Christianity 101. This isn't the deep things of God. You know, well, you know, when I get more mature, I'll begin coming to church. When I get deeper in the things of God. Friend, this is like a babe in Christ. This is when you just get saved and it's like, well, let's go to the house of God. Amen. It's what we're supposed to do. And it's an assembly. These people here, I found this great. I, I love this. It's so encouraging. They weren't told to assemble. They wanted to assemble. And I love it. When people come to the house of God and they want to assemble. We have a great assembly in here. And in verses 2 and 5, we saw this last week. They assembled for the word of God. They asked for the word. They asked for Ezra. I just said that. The men, the women, the Bible says, all who could understand the word of God. They all assembled there to, to read the word of God. Notice what they did in verse 5. We looked at this last week. I'm trying to make a run up to where we're going to be here in, in verse 8. Just a little bit of a recap here. He opened the book in verse 5. In the, in the sight of all the people, right? For he was above the people. When they had opened it, all the people stood up. Out of reverence for the Word of God. I love when we stand for the reading of the Word of God. It's a, just a beautiful act of reverence. We're saying this is, this, is, this is above anything else that is in our life. We stand for this, right? Hey, when a judge walks into a courtroom, the bailiff says, All rise. Right, And he has that position of authority. I'm telling you what he does. He has authority. And we, we understand that. And we recognize it. We accept that authority. But there is no other authority like this. And if I can stand for a, a judge walking into a courtroom, friend, I'm going to stand for the Word of God. And I think it's a wonderful pattern that we see here in the Word of God. I'll get that later. Don't worry. And so verse 4, Ezra did this standing on a pulpit of wood. I mean, there's a nice little... Now, I'm not going to stand on it. I've seen guys stand on them. And uh, Larry Brown preached chapel over at Heartland one year. Our daughter was there when he preached uh, back in 2003, 2004. And uh, preaching, calling out the wolves is what he preached. And he got up on the pulpit and he went, uh-oh. He didn't know if he'd get down. 
<laughs> and he's about my size, you know. He's pretty wiry too, and but he's, you know, he's probably up in his seventies now, and he's probably in his late sixties at the time, maybe. And uh, he jumped up there, but he got a little worried about getting down. A pulpit of wood. Ezra wasn't standing on. It. They they built a platform for him. All right. He was elevated. Why do we see this last week? Because he was elevated because to be seen, right? Because the word is important. Amen. The preaching of the word is important. The preacher of the word of God is important. The Bible says, "How shall they hear without a preacher?" Right? God, God determined that this is how the Word of God is going to be. One of the avenues of preaching among the assembly and the congregation was that a preacher was going to preach the Word of God. So this is what happens when people assemble, right? You have the Word of God. You have the, the hunger and the desire for the Word of God. You have the, the, the preaching of the Word of God, the reading of the Word of God, the elevation of the Word of God. It, it, it should have preeminence over every part of our life and over every part of our of, of our church service, friend, uh, if if the word of God is not preeminent, if we don't believe it should have preeminence in our life, if we don't believe it's number one, if we have questions that we well, I don't know if it's that important. Why are you here? Right. Why do you go to church? Why do you pray? For hey, if we don't have this, nothing else matters. Right. If this is wrong. We're all wrong. Yeah. But you know what? By many signs and wonders and many infallible proofs, by, by history alone, you can see, by, the, by the, the, the confirmation of the indwelling Spirit of God, by, the, by, the, by prophecy and the fulfilling of prophecy. We were just talking about this the other day. We, I've, you've heard me say it a million times. Forty different writers, 1,600-year period of time, five different languages, different continents, no technology. This book was put together without contradiction. Amen. That is divine Amen. in origin. That is not humanly possible. You say, well, I just need evidence. That's pretty good, friend. That's pretty good, right? Micah likes old Professor Stoner, right? He said if just eight, if just eight prophecies of Jesus were fulfilled, just eight of them, there's over 300, if just eight of them were fulfilled, you would have, you would have a greater likelihood of fulfilling one of those than filling what? The state of Texas up with quarters, I think waist high, and walking out and finding one special quarter in the middle of this. This was a mathematician who ran all the numbers on this. He said you have a greater likelihood of finding that special quarter in the middle of Texas, waist high of quarters, than you do of having one man fulfilling eight prophecies. I mean, I'm telling you what, I'm thankful for the Word of God. Thankful for the preservation of His Word. I'll tell you this, I say it all the time, but it's, it's, it's a battle. This is the battlefront. Without, listen, without preservation, inspiration is pointless. And without inspiration, preservation is pointless. You can say, well, I got the inspired Word of God. Amen. Yeah. You say, well, is it preserved? Well, you know. I mean, the originals are preserved. Then what does inspiration matter? Right? It doesn't matter anymore. Because now you don't even know if you have it, the inspired word of God. Right. <laughs> right? Oh, man. I love logic. You know, God is logic, friend. Right? We saw this in COVID. The further you get away from God, the further you get away from logic. And just the craziest stuff came out, right? So wear a mask in your car, but go ahead and, you know, go to the bar. You'll be all right there, you know. Just so you lift your mask while you're drinking poison and put it down, right? So, you know, you don't want COVID, but poison in your body is fine. Yeah, anyway, that's not even a part of this. What am I doing? I'm saying the Word of God is important. Yeah, it should have preeminence in our life. 
should be on your walls in your house. It should be in your heart. It should be memorized. I'm back to, I started again memorizing Romans chapter 6 again. I won't do it now. It'll take way too long. And because uh, I don't have it all done either. I'm only like a few verses in, right? But uh, memorize. Memorize the Word of God. But notice verse 6, the response to the Word of God. They responded to Ezra when he preached. I love this. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. We saw this last week. Amen. With lifting up their hands. And and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They said, Amen. I like that. Have you ever realized there's about, and and, and all over the world, I mean, same word. But there are like a thousand ways to say Amen. Uh, right? I mean, you you have it, and you'll be like, amen, you know. I mean, you get all sorts of different, some funny ones too, right? And uh, I was uh, at a church we used to go to, man, the preacher was up there, and he was really, uh, he, he was really uh, shucking corn up there, man, and he was flying and, and frothing at the mouth, and all of a sudden I heard, wow! And I'm like, I mean, it's a big place. I'm like, who was that? I mean, that was, this is how this guy said amen. Wow! All the time. Wow! Wow! And like, hey, praise the Lord. He's responding, right? I hadn't heard that one before. And uh, no, listen, it's the people responded to Ezra. I say it all the time. This is a participation sport. We're a body, right? When, hey, listen, if you take something good into your mouth, you know what happens? Your tummy says, oh, that was good. And your mind says, oh, that was good. Your whole body begins to say, yeah, unless it was too much of it. Then your body's like, no. But, <laughs> but no, no, we're a body. It's all together. The people responded to the reading of the word of God. They responded to the preaching of the word of God. Look at this. It says lifting up holy hands. What is that? It's a sign of surrender. You know, somebody says, amen, right? It's a sign of surrender. Don't let the Pentecostals ruin uh, a raising and lifting of a holy hand unto God. They just mess it all. They just mess stuff up. It is biblical. Notice this. They fell on their face and worship. You see the pattern here. It's, it's a beautiful pattern of actually a church service. You have the beginning, you have the preaching of the Word of God and the response to the Word of God. You have the lifting up of a holy hands of surrender and then you have the falling on their face in worship. What is worship? What is the time of the uh, invitation? What is the time at an altar when the Word is preached? But a time of worship, face down before God in a surrendered posture saying, you are God over my life. God, I heard your word today. The Holy Spirit of God, it was, it was loud and clear today. And I agree with you. And I just, whatever you say, I'm, I'm in for it. It's a time of worship. And we are worshiping God, right? Notice what we have here. We have a verbal response. We have a physical response to the reading of the word of God. And then we have a heart response. We have a verbal response. Amen. Amen. Right? Right? We have a physical response. And then we have a heart response when you bow, bow. Worship is not looking up. Worship is looking down. Right? Yeah. When we have a life built on the Word of God, our responses tell God. These three responses, they were telling God, you have all of us. You ha- we hear you with the ear, right? We hear you with the ear. We are responding with the mouth. We are surrendering with the hands. We are worshiping with the heart. What are we saying? God, you have all of us. You have all of us. Body, soul, spirit. We're all yours. You have us all. Yeah. This, I'm talking about how they responded to the word of God. Amen. Amen. That's good. We'll work on that. 
Think about it this way, if you would. God is our authority. Amen? He is the ultimate authority. Even those that reject His authority, He's still their authority. I think authority deserves a response. I think it absolutely does. And this is what they're doing. They're responding to the authority of God. They're responding to the Word of God. But in verses 8 and 9, I like this. There's some understandable preaching going on here, okay? Notice the elements. There's three elements here to biblical preaching. Look at verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly. Distinctly. They gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So really what you have here is three elements of biblical preaching. They gave the sense. What does that mean? Well, they gave the background. They gave the history. They gave the context. They may have defined a word or two, like I loved the definition of words. I'm telling you, when you're reading your Bible and something, a word jumps out to you that you can't just pass over, go look it up. It's because I don't know how many times, I don't know how many times I've gone and looked up a word and went, whoa, there we go. The word, the, the, the verse, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And people say, oh yeah, we just cast it on Jesus. And, and the idea actually of casting is rolling up a pawn, like rolling it on the back of the Lord Jesus. It's kind of a different imagery there than just chucking it at him, right? And uh, I just think, kind of think stuff like that's pretty neat. Hey, listen, Jesus said not one jot, one or tittle will pass till all the law be fulfilled. You know what I think? Every word is important. Especially, I'll tell you what, you see verses that have two words that look similar, right? You better look them up because there's a reason there's two different words that look like they're similar. Like they they seem like the same word, but no, they have different meanings. And you better go look those up. They gave the sense. They gave the history, the context, the background, the definitions. Look what it says. They caused them to understand and they communicated in such a way that the people could understand it. They didn't speak in legalese. Right? Now, I'm not ta- listen, I'm not talking about being dumb with the Word of God. Right? Well, bless God, I just leave it on the bottom shelf so they can get the good little cookies. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, watch, to understand the things of God. It says, yea, the deep things of God. So it's the desire of God that we learn the deep things of God. But on the other end of that, we can present it in such a way that it's just arrogance, right? Yeah. There's a couple that attended here for a little while during the COVID period, and uh, he was an anesthesiologist. They never joined, but he's an anesthesiologist. He told me one day, he goes, oh, it's amazing how doctors talk in the back room just before they're about to go into the, into the exam room. They've been in there. They're gone back. They're looking up online stuff. And they're just talking like you and I talk, he says. They're just talking like you and I. Then they get in the room. He goes, because I'm in there with them as an anesthesiologist. And they just start going, well, what's going on here is, uh, you know, and they start listing all of this medical jargon. And he goes, they weren't talking like that back there. They just turned it on when they got in the room. And I thought it was kind of funny getting that. But, hey, you got to be careful. It happens in pulpits, too. And, and it's not to teach or to serve. It's sometimes it's, it's just to, uh, uh, to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sometimes it's, it's just to, it's just pride. It's just a, it's just a superiority thing, right? Yeah. You can, I mean, listen, we can all throw some pretty big words out there. Yeah. So, brother, what do you think, what do you think is the, 
I got to think of a good one. I'm ready. Are you ready for that? Let me think of a good one. I really stump you here, you know. What do you think of the eschatological implications of this coming, coming digital currency? What do you think? I mean, isn't that it's incredible, huh? <clears throat> Don't you know the eschatological implications of all of this? Need well, it should. It's very serious. Very serious. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Eschatology, the things of it. But see, I could, you could get up here and just throw that out there. Or you could say, brother, you know, it's kind of weird watching this digital currency with a one-world government coming. And what does this really have to do with the end times? It's interesting, right? I'm just telling you. That, listen, they, they communicated in such a way that they understood, but they were not communicating in a way to dumb down the Word of God. There's a difference. There's a difference. Yeah. Okay, I'll go on. Notice what they did in verse 8. They uncovered the Word of God. They uncovered it. There's 13 names listed here in the Levites. It says they caused the people to understand. Yeah. They caused the people to understand. And although preaching does have the preeminence in the church service, we cannot forget one-on-one teaching must take place. There's got to be discipleship. There's got to be one on, there's got to be, be the exposing of the Word of God. We were just talking about this the other day about, you know, Jesus said, go on the highways, uh, he said, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Teaching them, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. And th- there is more to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ than just getting somebody to pray a prayer at a door and walking away from them. The Great Commission includes the winning of the lost, the baptizing of them into a body, and the discipling of them. You, you remove any of those other two items, and you have, not com- you have not completed the Great Commission. Absolutely not. And this is what they did here with the people here. They, 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 there was a one-on-one teaching here. They caused them to understand the, the reading. You can go on up here and see it. <clears throat> And look at verse 7. Also, Yeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kaleda, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan. We're going to take a test on these. Remember them. Peliah and all the Levites caused the people to understand the law. Yeah. They had a job. They went out one on one and help them to understand the Word of God, expose the Word of God. You know, some people, some men preach about the Bible. Some preachers preach from the Bible. But everybody, all preaching, should be just preaching the Bible. And there is a difference between just preaching the Word of God and preaching from the Bible or preaching about the Bible. There's a lot of guys, and they're good. Hey, listen, uh, listen. We all we all uh, struggle at stuff, but I've heard so much preaching about the Bible or from the Bible, which wasn't really preaching the Bible, right? Yeah. Do I need to give you an example? I think I think Martin wants an example. Yeah. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now I'm going to give you one little verse, and we're going to jump off from here, and just let's go back here to the Proverbs. Where there is no vision, the people perish, and you're right. And they pray, and here they jump into the message, and we need a vision, we need a dream, we need a vision. You got to have a vision for your home, and a vision for the church, and a vision for this, and a vision for that. Bless God. I mean, people are shouting, "Ah, it's a great message." Ah. You ever think of looking up what the word vision meant? 
Vision means a revelation of the Word of God. It doesn't mean some dream I have in my head that I spiritualize. See, and that's the problem when you begin preaching from the Bible and just instead of preaching the Bible. Right? If you'd look up the words and expose it like Nehemiah and the Levites did and, and gave an understanding of the, word, uh, uh, of, the, of the word vision, you would understand that what it meant is where there's no revelation of the word of God, people perish. People fall backward and they go away. But you know what? That's this what happens. Right? You've got to preach the word of God. You've got to preach the Bible. Not only that, they, te- they taught the word in verse 9. Yeah, they taught it. We've missed this. For a number of years of discipleship. Here it is again. Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Weep not nor mourn, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. What is going on here? What is going on here? Understandable preaching. You know what it leads to? Conviction. Conviction of the Word of God. Friend, if there's no conviction, there's no change. There's no change. Now, I'm, talking about emo- I'm not talking about emotionalism. There are some gifted, gifted communicators that can sway the masses, right? And I'm telling you, they can get altars full. Uh, and you're, uh, you, sometimes you've probably sat there and go, what did they say? This is phenomenal, but I don't even remember this. <laughs> right? But man, they've got it. They've got it. No, we're talking about the we're talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. That's the proper outcome of Bible teaching and preaching. Conviction. Yeah, conviction. It doesn't always mean weeping. Sometimes it's just you read the Word of God and you go, "Oh wow!" The Holy Spirit goes, "God goes, hey, what about that right there?" Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, got to change that. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery back in John chapter 8? It says, And they which heard it being convicted of their own conscience. What did Jesus say? Well, you, have the, you, you that have sinned, cast the, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. What was he doing? He got down to the rear end, began to write in the sand. Kind of a weird response when they brought him to her, brought her to him. Caught in the very act. Well, where's the guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's all sorts of speculations on what he wrote down. I do know this, whatever it was, it caused them to one by one walk away right. from the youngest to the oldest. Yeah. And we can put all sorts of stuff in there. But what was it? They were convicted, the Bible says. They were convicted of their own conscience. What convicted them? The Word of God. What? What, what was the Word of God? Hold on. Jesus spoke, right? It was the Word of God, and it was convicting. Stephen was preaching in the synagogue. If you remember that, they brought him to the council and the high priest. And he began to preach to them. And man, he's preaching away. He starts from Abraham. And they're, they're doing real fine with this. They're liking it. All Abraham all the way up. They're, they're in it until he mentions Jesus Christ. And then they just exploded on him. Right? And, and until, watch this. They were fine until application came. People don't like application. You know, he, he gave this whole history of Israel. And then in verse 51 he says this. Ye stiff-necked... And uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so did ye. Whew. They, yeah, they got right, he got after it, didn't he? He goes on, he doesn't stop there. Which of the prophets have your fathers, uh, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? 
Which ones haven't they? I mean, they persecuted all of them. And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Ouch. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just opening the wound and pouring salt on it, man. Absolutely. Verse 54, he said, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, you think? <laughs> yeah. Then they stoned him. Yeah. He said, we'll fix you. Can I tell you something? Oh, 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 watch this connection. Conviction was there. They were convicted in their heart, the Bible says. Cut to their heart, the Bible says. Who was standing there? Saul of Tarsus. He said they laid the feet down at Saul's, of the young man's clothes at the feet of Saul. Right? What happened to Saul? He went on a rampage after that day. He was convicted. You know what happened on the road to Damascus? Jesus said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That conviction had not left him. Man, it's powerful. Powerful. The Word of God brings conviction. Hey, just preach the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will do the convicting. Absolutely. The Jews here in Nehemiah, what happened with the conviction, Holy Spirit conviction? Repentance. That's the natural outcome of Holy Spirit conviction, repentance. For all the people wept when they had heard the words of the law, right? In verse 9, true repentance brings sorrow. But watch this, verses 10 and 12, true repentance brings joy. It is is the greatest paradox to tell the world, well, I tell you what, the Holy Spirit of God just whipped the tar out of me. Man, was that great. I needed that. What joy. I was just so happy. And they went, huh? (laughs) You're weird. I know. But you come to Christ, you'll get it too. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's just a total paradox. Look at verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither shall you be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look at verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink. Of course, they're, they're obeying Right? And to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understand the words that were declared unto them. I tell you what, some of the greater joys you've had in your life and you've understood the Word of God, when the Holy Spirit of God, you've been studying something, and all of a sudden it's like, there it is! There it is! Oh man, is that wonderful. You see it, and uh, there's joy. Repentance brings sorrow, but in their case here, repentance brought joy. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. What does that mean? Well, salvation, with salvation is joy. Well, how does it go away? Well, the salvation doesn't go away. The joy goes away. Yeah, he said, restore, not my salvation, my joy. Psalm 1611. I love this beautiful psalm. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's joy in the presence of the Lord. And I'm telling you tonight... When you get away from God, you get away from God, the joy goes away. The presence, the presence is, is, there's a wall there between, there's a wall built there. And there's nothing greater than the joy of having that go away, of having repentance come to your heart and life. And the wall going away and uh, getting back into the presence in the, uh, of God. It's a beautiful, wonderful, joyful thing. Yeah. There's joy in understanding the Word of God. There absolutely is. 
Now I want to show you something. Do we have time? I may have to stop here tonight. Let me, let, me, let me move fast. Here we go. Because we started late. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we started late. Not only, not only was there the uncovering of the Word of God, but notice this. While they were uncovering the Word of God, they discovered something. Let me tell you something. You're never going to discover anything in the Word of God if you're not reading it. <laughs> okay? That's a really easy logic right there. Okay? They discovered something. Look at verse 13. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. Look at this, verse 14. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feasts of the seventh month. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees and make booths, like tents, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, everyone upon the roof of his house and the courts and in the courts of the house of God and the streets of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. We'll stop right there real quickly. You notice it's the seventh month. It's the seventh month. Everything we're reading here is taking place on the first day. But now we're on the second day. And all the heads have gotten together. All of the religious grand poobahs, that's not, I shouldn't say that, have all gotten together. And uh, they've gathered together to get more understanding of what they're reading. I love this. They weren't satisfied with day one. They came back to day two and they wanted to get some more understanding. Why? The joy of the Lord. I tell you what, you get the joy of the Lord back in you and you just want more of it. You just want more. And, and you, you know what you learn? If you're real smart, you figure out where you found it and you go back to where you found it, right? Found it in the Word of God. And so they had come together and they wanted to do more reading. They wanted to do more uncovering. And they found as they uncovered, they found something that they had not been obeying. Now, I'm not going to go there. You can go back and read Leviticus chapter 23. So we know what they were reading, right? They're reading in the Pentateuch. Reading the, it says earlier, the law of Moses, the first five books. They are in Leviticus reading. And what they have noticed here is what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. What was it? Well, it was, it, it was uh, if you remember, every, every biblical feast and holiday was given to the Jewish people. And it had, each one of them had three aspects to it. All right? There are three aspects to every Jewish high day and ritual and holiday that was given to them. Number one, Israel was to observe the holiday, number one, in the present, right now. But in, in order to remember something God had done, they were to recognize this holiday remembering the past. And then while looking forward, they were to recognize this holiday looking to the future. So in every high day, in every uh, ritual, in every holiday that they had, there was the present, there was the past, and then there was the future, right? And, and in each one of these, really, I, I use the word hidden, probably not the best word to use, but couched within every one of these feasts and holidays was, was prophetic purpose as well. 
It was all pointing to the Lamb of God. It was all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Feast of Tabernacles with these booths, they're making tents, right? They're going out and getting palm branches, all these branches. They're making, everybody's making their own little tent to go dwell in called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast that reminded them of, of the days that they were in the wilderness. And it reminded them of the past that where God had brought them out of. They were doing this in the wilderness. God gave this to them in the wilderness. It reminded them of God bringing them out of Egypt. It reminded them of God, uh, his provisions in the wilderness. And it looked forward to the promised land that he had promised Abraham that they were going to get in the future. So this was the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, when they got to the promised land, God said, well, you're going to keep it here as well. Why? Because there's always a future, right? And there's always a past and there's always a present. That's not real tough, is it, right? There's always a past, there's always a present, always a future. So every year, seventh month, 15th day, build these little huts, live in them for seven days. On the eighth day, you're going to have a Passover. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna sacrifice burnt offerings. And this would remind them where they came from out of their bondage. It would remind them the miracles that God brought them through in the wilderness. And it would remind them that they are living in temporary dwellings, right? You have a future, right, that is, that is uh, set. A future that is not temporary, but permanent. One day in their future, right, they're supposed to continue in these festivals. Not living in temporary tabernacles, right? But they're going to be living. God was telling them going into the promised land, you're going to be living in your own sealed houses. You're going to be living in a land that you'll never leave. Right? It's a beautiful picture for us today, actually. It absolutely is. Right? Where God found us. What He has brought us through. Currently where we are and what our future is. Right? Not a tabernacle. This tabernacle is going to be put off someday. And right, we're going to get a body someday that's eternal like unto his glorious body, amen, that shall never die, that shall never sin again, that shall never, that shall never succumb to death or anything else. So we look forward to the future. And then remember this, how he brought us out, what he delivered us from, and where he brought us to. We see it in our own life, don't we? We see it in our own life. May we, listen, this Feast of Tabernacles, they weren't supposed to forget it. May we never forget May we never forget what God brought us from. May we never forget what God has brought us through. May we never forget what God is bringing us to, where we're headed. We have a city, uh, a city where we're going, where God is the light. And uh, there's no darkness there, and I'm looking forward to that. Verse 14, they found a commandment. Verse 15, they published the commandment. Verse 16, they obeyed the commandment, and they went out and did what they did. Now, it says here they hadn't done this since Joshua. Nine Hundred years. Nine hundred years they've been disobedient to this. Can I tell you tonight, no matter how long it's been since you've been obedient to something of, of, of God, it's never too late to, get, to be obedient. Pick it up right where you're at and just carry on. Hey, you know why it was so easy for them to do it? They were living, they were living in joy. They were living in glory land, man. And uh, they're discovering the Word of God. They didn't realize the Word could bring so much joy. They got to uncover this, and they're like, well, let's do it, <laughs> right? If reading the Word can be this much joy, how much joy could from, come from doing the Word of God, right? And, man, they were all in. Yeah. They found a commandment. They published it. They obeyed it. And what do we have in verse 17? And I'm done. Yeah. There's no greater joy than living in obedience. 
Obedience, I, I love it, is its own reward. And it's joy. God designed it that way. There's nothing worse than a disobedient Christian. It's pitiful. It's miserable. They're miserable to be around. They're not even fun. You'd you'd have a greater time around somebody lost than you would some backslidden Christian out of the will of God living carnal. They're just miserable to be around. Shouldn't be that way. But you know what you have in verse 17? Great gladness. Man, I love it. What's the word I'm using here? Revival. Revival. Yeah. There's a joy in revival. Can you? Can I tell you this today? Don't let the enemy think, let you let you think that it's a drudgery to live for Jesus. It's not. It's not at all. Yeah. Revival. You don't have revival apart from the Word of God. It's not possible. It's not some mysterious falling of the Holy Spirit, right? Where some, somebody with an Irish accent, you know, and the Spirit came down, you know, and oh, I've heard all of those. And supposedly somebody, somebody, uh, the kids from a dance hall came and all came to the church house and everybody from the city just started wandering to the church house. And there's a great revival. Yeah. I'm sorry, revival comes from the Word of God. Not some mysterious moving of the Spirit of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? But the Spirit of God just randomly... I'm I'm not going to put God in a box. But I'm telling you, the pattern of the Word of God is revival comes from the Word of God. Absolutely. By the preaching of the Word of God. You don't have revival apart from the discovery of the Word of God. And the digging of the Word of God. You don't have revival apart from the obedience to the Word of God. That's where it comes. And you know what? All of this, when we're done here tonight, all of it started in one place. Where did it start? That's right, brother. Started in the heart. They wanted to assemble, and they began to beg for the Word of God. You know what came? Revival. Yeah. Absolutely. You don't have revival apart from an aching heart that wants the Word of God and apart from a heart that wants God. And friend, I said it Sunday morning. I've said it before. You can be in church. You can be in services. You can be faithful. You can be faithful to reading your Bible. Yeah. And away from God. Yeah. You can be doing everything else but one thing that God has told you to do. And you're like, yeah, I know. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when your boys get older, it's going to be great. You know, it's like you need to, you need to clean your room before I get home, and it better be clean before I get home, right? And you get home, and you're like, well, Dad, we mowed the yard, took the trash out, we washed the car, we re-roofed the house, we mowed the, you know, we cut the, we we shot the cats, we did everything you wanted us to do. Did you clean your room? Well, no, but we got all this done. Still didn't do what I told you to do. No, we do that with the Lord, don't we? I got all the checklists done. The Holy Spirit of God goes, yeah, but what about this thing I I brought up to you? It doesn't matter whether you've messed up tonight, okay? What matters is, the question that matters is, 
What do you want tonight? What do you want? What do you want? Does your heart ache for revival? Does it ache for personal revival? You look at a time in your life and you say, oh, I've drifted. I've drifted. I know I have. Do you long to have that fullness of joy to return? Do you really want to know what God wants from your life? Sometimes we're afraid. We just don't want to know. Because you know what what conviction does. Are you ready to obey whatever God has shown you? We need revival. Watch this. And our city needs us to need revival. Does that make sense? So if you're away from the Lord tonight, just come back to Him. I've said it before. We're not talking like you're in some weird gross sin out there and some depths of despair and this and that. Listen, it, it, it can just be the most mundane, simple-looking little thing that the Lord has said no or said yes or said go or said whatever. And it's put a wall up. And listen, let me tell you this. In the depths of your soul, you know what you're supposed to do. You know. Right? We know. We know. We know what we're supposed to do. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction of the Spirit of God. Father, thank you that, uh, that uh, we have your word. We can dig into it. We can search it out. We can look at it. We know what you say. And uh, Lord, we thank you. That when truth comes and you point out little specific things to us, Lord, we thank you that your spirit convicts. And Father, it's possible, it's possible. Somebody watching online today, tonight, somebody here with us, I don't know. Only you know hearts, I don't. But Lord, it could be possible somebody has just slowly drifted from you. And your Holy Spirit tonight has put his finger on something that has put a wall up between you and them. And that needs to come down tonight. And Father, I just pray you'd give them the courage and the unction of the Holy Spirit, that they would know that they have everything in them, your Holy Spirit, to accomplish your will. And that tonight, tonight, they would either set aside what needs to be set aside, that they would begin to implement what needs to be implemented, whatever it is, whatever your Holy Spirit has been dealing with them about, tonight would they surrender to that, And then we might come back to the joy, the joy and the peace of revival. We need it tonight. The city needs it. I said it before. We desperately need it. And our town needs it. Would you do that tonight in Jesus' name? Amen. Why don't we stand tonight, if you would. The instrument's going to play. We have time for invitation. Your chair right there, that's your altar in this this little building. It's your altar. However the Lord has spoken to you, you respond to Him. If you know what you need to do, do it tonight. If you know what you're supposed to do, if you know what the Lord wants you to do, just surrender Him tonight.
Amen. All right. We'll be out <clears throat> visitation tomorrow night, 6.30. And um, so if you're able to go, I don't know what the weather's going to be like. If it's going to be real hot or not. I don't know. And um, it, it will be weather. So very good. <laughs> you didn't know we had an in-house meteorologist, did we? And we've got a weatherman. And uh, so we're uh, looking forward to that. And uh, so we'll be, be praying for one another. And uh, some of those that, you know, 